Welcome to the Leaps of Faith podcast. I'm your host, Marissa Coleman. I'm so glad you're here. Whether this is an interview with an active member of the church, an ex-Mormon, or anyone in between, remember to be curious and to create space in your heart and mind. We are here to bridge the divide between us. Now, let's get to the interview. All right, friends, welcome back to another episode of the Leaps of Faith podcast. Today, I am here with my new friend, Sabrina Clayson. She is an empty nester. Her and her husband have four kids, two each from previous marriages, and um, they're a beautiful little blended family. Um, And I am so excited to chat with her today about her faith journey and her feelings about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, Do you want to say hello? Well, hello, Marissa. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm super excited to have you on. Um, So we'll just start the way we always do. So if you could just tell me a little bit about, um, because, you know, you are an active member of the church and whether you are an active member, an inactive member, an ex-member, a nuanced member, everyone has a faith journey, Um, you know, experiences patterns of behavior that lead you to where you are today with your beliefs. Could you, you know, kind of start from the beginning and just tell us your faith journey? Yeah. Um, And I'm still on the journey, right? Like it doesn't end. Yeah. Yeah. But when I was very young, um, my grandmother, who is very Catholic, she's passed now. um, She taught me how to pray as a little girl when my parents left me at her house, like they went on a little trip or something. And both of my parents were not uh, religious. My father, as soon as he got out of the house, he dropped Catholicism. And my mother was never raised with organized religion. And they both were kind of like, not about that at all. So that was my very first introduction to God, I guess. And that's kind of precious to me now that I think back on it. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. What a what a wonderful thing to be able to share with your grandmother. Yes. And so we lived next door as a child. Me and my sister and my parents lived next door to um, an LDS family. And so periodically, my sister and I would go to church with them. And um, as we got older, you know, we developed a desire to join the church. And my parents were not about this at all. Um And my sister, she had to wait till she was 16 to join the church. And she did. And then when I was, when I was 14, um, my father gave me permission to join the church. And I think it's just because there was a lot of tension around the church in our family. This is probably so like, like when I go to church and I'm talking to young people, they just can't believe that because a lot of their parents are making them go to church. And my dad, my dad was actually like, can I pay you not to go to what we used to call a mutual back then in the day? Right. Yeah. Yeah. He offered, I can still picture him on our doorstep offering money, me money, not to go to church. It was only like a buck or something, but. Oh my um, gosh, that is amazing. But yeah. And as a young person, you know, my testimony was so strong. I never had any doubts about the church being true ever when I was young. And it was old. When I got older, I hit a few um, touching points that was like, wait, what's happening here? Um, but all through my childhood. And then when I went off to college, I went to Arizona State University and they had an institute on campus. And I was kind of away from my uh, family's, you know, tension and I could fully live the gospel like I wanted to. And I, at the Institute, it was like a home for me. You know, it was my home base. I would go early in the morning and practice my flute. I was majoring in music and in the chapel and I would do all the things. I joined the church sorority, Lambda Delta Sigma. Lots of people don't even know there was such a thing. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, the men's um, fraternity is... Uh, Sigma Gamma Chi. Um, so that's a whole nother, a whole nother thing. Um, but I just was really thriving in the church at that point in my life. And then when I, um, when I uh, finished college and married um, a man that my parents disapproved of completely, 
Um, we got married in the temple. Um, and that's kind of when my, my faith just started to dissolve a little bit, I think, um, particularly towards the end of that marriage that, um, you know, he was a womanizer and was unfaithful. <clears throat> and, you know, you kind of get hit this point where you're like, well, I married this guy in the temple, <laughs> you know, right. we were supposed to be married forever. <laughs> And I sacrificed my family, you know, they couldn't come to our, so we got, you know, married in the temple, so they couldn't come. And it's like, what is happening here? Oh, how um, horribly unfair to you, you know, to make that sacrifice and then to have to deal with that infidelity. Mm-hmm. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. It really felt like a betrayal of, from him, of course, not from mm-hmm. the church, and I have to say, I had so much church support from my bishop and, you know, through my divorce, I never really felt, uh, you know, singled out as a single mom at, in, in that way that I know some people feel a lot of pain around that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it was, it was hard. And um, then I remarried um, to a, another LDS man, um, who my current husband and, oh, I just, oh yeah. So, um, he and I, we could have got married in the temple, but we hadn't planned on it. But in the end, I just decided, you know, I'm not going to do that to my parents again. (laughs) Yeah. And so we did not get married in the temple and I felt really good about that actually. (laughs) Yeah. you know, six months later or a year, whatever it was, we did get married. We did get sealed in the temple. Um, so that was, you know, that was a really interesting dilemma there where mm-hmm. like in the church, you always get married in the temple. That's what you're always told. But I was experiencing something that was a little different just because, you know, I just felt that betrayal from my former spouse who's in jail by now, right now, actually. Oh my gosh. It's a, a very, very, we do not have time in this podcast to go <laughs> tell all the stories. Um, um, but so we, so we have a very happy marriage. We're very um, uh, active in the church, but then his daughter came out as a gay woman and that was kind of a long process for us, but she, ha- we were not as close to her um, because she kind of has chosen not to engage with us and it breaks our heart. Um, but, but we did try to do what we could to support her through that. And that did not shake me as much as it did when, when my son came out as being gay, that was a point touch point in my testimony. It's like another question was, where does my son fit in the plan of salvation? You know, that that's that's not in the plan that we see at at church. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, it just shook me and I had to kind of regroup and think, well, who am I? And what, what is my, my relationship with God and what does this mean for me and my child and my family? And, and, and then it was like, probably several years later where he decided not to go to church. And then my other son and his wife who were married in the temple um, came to us and said that they were not going to be in the church anymore. And, you know, you really reevaluate like, because I think it's different than anything else, but your spirituality and your religious con- covenants tie you in a way that when your children leave, it feels like, like, well, does that mean they're going to leave me? Right. It's scary. It's really scary. Oh, it's something I can't even imagine, you know, just going through, you know, having the testimony that you have and then having your child reject that, um, that tie, you know, that comes from the temple ceiling. Um, Mm -hmm. it, it can feel so personal. Yeah. 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 And I also can't imagine rejecting my children. 
Like, right. <laughs> like, right. You know, it was more a fear of they're going to leave me, not I'm going to leave them because they're not in my religion anymore, you know? Right. Um, but who taught me that example of family is the most important thing? Well, that was my agnostic parents who taught me that true undying love for your family. You know, they allowed me. It's ironic, right? That's <laughs> a beautiful thing. What a beautiful lesson to learn from them. Yeah. You know, I went against their desire in so much that they, you know, it was really, I know I caused them a lot of pain in the moment. <laughs> I'm sure it's like, well, I know what's right. I'm just going to live my life, you know, but mm -hmm. in retrospect, it's like, well, actually I caused them a lot of pain. I think that's pretty normal about life is that we are here and we're going to cause each other pain. And what the most important thing is, what do we do with that pain? Wow, Sabrina, that is what a, what a focal question that is. Yeah. What do we do? You know, we are going to cause each other pain, you know, that's a given. And what are we going to do with that pain? What a, what a deep thing to think about. Yeah. And, and your choice about that will make all the difference in your relationships. Mm -hmm. And so you, you know, you expressed that you went through, you know, some, at least, you know, some, some introspection when your, when your son came out and when your husband's daughter came out, um, can you speak a little bit to how you have decided to respond to those feelings that you've had? Well, I think that, um, you know, I think I have to do my own work. And when you, and, and to look inside to find resolution because of that pain or that struggle, um, and then just trusting, trusting heavenly father is going to take care of this, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, with, with my kids and my, I actually have a sister who's also, um, gay and married to a woman. And I have decided that, that love trumps everything. And, mm -hmm. and. I think that this whole process has really taught me how to love more, you know, and how to love more deeply, but our relationships are restored. And I'm not saying there wasn't this time where I had to figure it out. And I'm not sure what was your question specifically again? Sorry, Mar Marissa. No, you're totally fine. Um, it was just, you know, and you answered it, you know, how are you moving forward with, you know, this pain or this struggle that you've been through? And, you know, you're moving forward by, by finding ways to show more love and just, and seeing that love trumps all. And I think that that's so beautiful because, you know, there's love and there's judgment. And with all of the knowledge within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know, knowledge about what came before this life, what comes after, what our purpose is here. It can be so easy to feel like we can assume and make judgments about what's happening to people after this life. You know, but the scriptures teach us and prophets have taught that, you know, we are to love and it's God's place to judge, you know? So I think you have found a beautiful place where you are focusing on, you know what, it's not my place to judge and to make assumptions on you know, the eternal destiny of these loved ones of mine, that's God's place. And I can do my part and just love. Oh, well said. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I got from what you said. So that was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think like this transition of learning and growing and figuring this out, and that takes years. Mm -hmm. But now I'm in a place of like, I don't think about that. We're just a family going on vacation, having dinner together. I mean, mm -hmm. you just, you, you do get through these things and find this peace and joy. It's, it's available for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's amazing what, what giving things time and space can do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, that's, that's wonderful that you can just, you know, enjoy and be with your family you know, here in this life and, and focus on that. 
I think that's so healthy and so good for, you know, your sister and your, um, was it your son? Yeah. And your, your husband's daughter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, so, um, was there anything else you wanted to touch on when it comes to your own personal journey? Any experiences you wanted to share or any other thoughts? Yeah. I kind of want to tell you about what's happening right now for me. Yes. Yes, please. I'm so excited. It's like, I'm having this spiritual growth spurt right now. Um, and it has to do with, well, actually I have a friend who's, um, going through a faith crisis right now. And, um, so she's kind of introducing me to some new ways about thinking about things. Mm -hmm. And so I've been listening to, I don't know if you know who Janice Spangler is. I don't. Okay. So she's a very interesting person. She's a life coach and she, um, coaches people who are going through this kind of a crisis. Um, and so what it's giving me is an introduction to um, just a different way to think about things like Joseph Smith and polygamy and all of these things um, in a way that is pretty radical in terms of like what you might find at church. You're not going to hear any of this at church, but she's just looking at Joseph Smith like um, as a prophet because she is active in the church, but also a man. So, you know, if we believe that our prophets from the Old Testament are um, fallible and, you know, make mistakes, then it's true that our current prophets also are fallible and they're not perfect. And this, I think, is a problem in the church is that we hold too high men of God because Mm -hmm. they are men. Um, So between that and then like I've been doing a lot of Jody Moore work or um, Brooke Castile, which is the life coach school and just helping me to look at the pure love of Christ from a whole new way. And that whole new way is like, like allowing people to be, to take whatever path they want to take and to actually um, see them in the light of they're on the right path for them, no matter what that path is, you know, like I look at you, uh, Marissa, what you did. I just love this, that you have, you know, you went through a faith crisis. Is that true to say it that way? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And if you hadn't have left the church, you would have never built this place of safety to help build um, relationships with families that are, are struggling. I mean, I just think that when you have a faith crisis, like you can totally be reborn into something even more beautiful than you had before. And for me, it's not the same as you. For you, you are building this beautiful place um, outside the church. I mean, I'll, you know, as an, as no longer active member, but for me, like I've kind of been reborn into this place of, of being active in the church and yet providing this space of inclusivity, like with my family home evening group for our LGBTQ folks. That, yes. Oh, I love that. And I love, you know, you discussing how, you know, every person's path it is right for them. You know, I think that that is so open and beautiful. And I love that, you know, both of our journeys, even though they're so different, are both perfectly valid. And yeah, they allow us to, you know, create beautiful things that could have positive impacts on other people. Tell me more about this family home evening group that you do. Oh, so my husband and I were, um, were serving in um, an ARP group, which is addiction recovery program. And one of the members had mentioned that um, they were going to go to a family home evening group in a neighboring stake. And Trey and I had never heard of such a thing. And we just looked at each other. And it's like I said, that's what we're doing next, because we just finished our addiction recovery program um, 
uh, it's like a church service mission. And it's, so we went to our stake presidency and we said, Hey, what do you think about this? And they said, let's do it. They're so supportive. And so we got this group going and we just modeled it after this other stake. Um, we meet once a month um, in, in uh, somebody's home and we talk about gospel topics and we talk about what it's like to be on the, an LGBTQ person and a member of the church or not. We've, we've invited um, former members to come and, and teach, teach us what their life is like. What was their church experience like? How can we do better? You know, we're, I think our feeling is we want to make a cult, help um, promote a culture in church where um, everybody is welcome, you know, that you can come and enjoy the spirit and, and it doesn't matter who you are or how you identify or any of those things. Oh, that sounds incredible. You know, because I can only imagine as, as an LGBTQ member of the church, I'm sure it can be so scary because, you know, you, you may feel that there's, there's not a true place for you within the church or, and you may be, you know, too scared to either come out or to step away from the church or like mm-hmm. it can be such a, a scary place to be. And you have created a place specifically for these people, you know, these amazing people that, you know, might feel like they don't have a place yet. And that's amazing. Yeah. And I think that's what resonated so deeply with me when we first talked and you were telling me about this podcast, you know, like we're both kind of trying to bring peace and love and harmony to places where there's often tension. Yes. 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 Cause there, you know, there doesn't have to be, you know, you, if it, you know, when it comes down to it, if you walk into an active member's home and they're drinking a coffee you know, you can have so many thoughts. Like you can, you can make assumptions about whether they have a temple recommend. You can make assumptions about, you know, what, where they're going to be assigned on the judgment day, but do you need to? No, you can just, yeah. you know, <laughs> none of our yeah. business really <laughs> not. It's not. Yeah, exactly. And there's, you know, every person is on a journey. Every person has their own baggage and, we, we don't have to deal with that. That's not our job. That's and, it. Yeah. Yeah. One, one of the things I've kind of been thinking in my new expanded view mm-hmm. is like at church, I, I think we think too narrowly about how you can think. I think there's so much room for so many different views that are valid and it's happening anyway, because we're all unique and we're all thinking these things. But to allow for that, to allow for the idea that Joseph Smith could be a prophet and he could be fallible. Let's allow for that thought. Mm-hmm. I don't, we're not going to know anyway. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Two people, you could have an ex-Mormon and an active member argue all day, ex-Mormons with, you know, everything they've you know, found or read online and an active member with, you know, their full testimony, you know, you could have them going back and forth all day and you won't make any progress, That's you know? It. Yes. <laughs> yes. This, is, this is my Jody Moore work. Like she says, like the church believe, believe the church is true is not a circumstance. It's a thought. And okay. I'm getting way too deep now, but no, please <laughs> dive. Let's go. Um, But if it's a circumstance, it's something you can prove in the court of law. So Mm -hmm. you cannot prove in the court of law that the church is true. Right. So, you know, what you can, uh, so that makes it a thought. If I believe the church is true, that's my thought. And I'm not going to prove that. And so when you, when you talk about Joseph Smith, you're not going to prove anything. You have a, a preponderance of evidence against Joseph Smith and you have a preponderance of evidence for Joseph Smith. And I think, um, I get to choose how mm-hmm. I think about it. And, and sometimes there is a friction and then I take a look at it, you know, 
And that's just part of the process. And that's why I say like, I'm still on this journey, but I feel solid, like Mm -hmm. in the church right now, I just feel like I'm, and I think, I think Marissa, this is kind of interesting. I'm just like totally doing all my work right here, but (laughs) (laughs) bring it. (laughs) Like, I think by allowing everyone else to be who they are and to acknowledge that their path is valid has given myself permission to say, you get to be a Mormon woman and, and to, to just own that to a way of like, everybody gets to believe what they want, including myself. And I think I have always, cause I kind of had this thing from my parents growing up. It was a little bit like, um, persecution actually. Oh, wow. um, um, and so I've always felt defensive, but now I've kind of let go and I don't feel defensive about the church. And I just think everybody could, you know, believe what they want to believe. And I get to believe what I want to believe. And it's just been freeing really. Yeah. Yes. Isn't that, if you know, there's so much space, so much space and you know, you could, you know, I know there's a lot of anger in the ex-Mormon community right now at um, nuanced members of the church, members of the church who pick and choose what they'd like to take from the church. So you've got, you know, people on Instagram who claim to be active members, but, you know, they're taking pictures with their coffee or, you know, with their new tattoos. I know there's new guidelines on that now, but like, or, you know, having a drink or, you know, any, any certain thing and still, you know, claiming to have, you know, an active temple recommend all this stuff. And so there's so much anger there, but that can be solved by just making space for that because there's room for everyone and any choice and any, you know, interpretation of the gospel. There's no, you know, there's no, you can't be like, you know what, if you live like that, you have to leave the church you know, or Mm -hmm. you got to change so that you can stay in the church. You know, there's, there's room for everyone. Um, however they choose to live and believe. Um, so I, that just reminded me of that. I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. And it's none of my business if you're drinking coffee and you have a temple recommend Mm -hmm. (laughs) it just, that's between you and God and your Bishop. And, um, I think I need to just stay out of that space because that, that, you know, that's not my business. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, this is so good. So good. Um, okay. Any, any more thoughts or should I move on to another question? No, let's move. Okay. Um, so, you know, you're, you're a, you were a teenage convert to the church. Um, what aspects of either the faith or the culture, the community have had a really significant impact of your, on your life? Like what have you, held on to this, this entire time? My friends. Oh, that's great. I mean, I, I have deep relationships that go back, um, to my childhood with people I still reconnect with, but more importantly, my current friendship, um, circle is, an super important part of my life and we bring strength to each other in times of trial in times of joy um and that is makes my life better for sure that's beautiful um so another thing is the um spiritual practices like some people are just naturally really you know, like my sister, who's no longer in the church, maybe she doesn't need the church because she's already so good. You know? <laughs> I'm always out there doing for other people and my mom as well. And I just think like for me, it's really good for me to hear every week uh, and to have that consistency of of striving to be better, you know, and to um, just a reminder about scripture study and prayer and, and really loving others. And um, so I love that, that, that I have spiritual practices and, and have sisters, friends who also are practicing. And so I think there's a bond that comes when you're 
when you have such an integral part of your life that is in common with another person? Oh, definitely. Yes. The, the community that comes within the church is so beautiful. And I'm so glad you've seen so many examples of that. You know, you mentioned that when you were going through your divorce, you had so much support from, you know, your bishop and other members of your ward and things like that. And I just, I love that because I felt that all growing up too. You know, there were just, there were always people there for me. I trusted so many adults um, and youth, you know, throughout my life, you know, because yeah, there, that is a beautiful part of yeah. the church culture is the community for sure. Yeah. And I, I feel like, like I have been super blessed, like my whole life, I'm 60 years old. My whole life, I have had amazing bishops, amazing stake presidents, leadership. Um, and I know that the people listening to this podcast are not going to be able to say the same thing. And I know that there's a lot of pain out there for folks that have come from the church. Um, and I, I just want to say to those folks, I am so sorry. <laughs> I just, I, I, we're all human. So it's going to be there, especially like my LGBTQ folks. Mm-hmm. They're kind of on the front lines of um, any negativity that might come from fellow saints or a leadership, particularly leadership or family. And I, you know, I just, I am, my heart goes out to them for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. I, I, I'm with like you, I have never had, I guess maybe like one mildly you know, poor experience, but like nothing in comparison, what I'm sure to other, what other people have been through. But yeah, generally I have loved all of my church leaders. They have been incredible. And so, yeah, it, it really just, you know, everyone's experience is different and yeah. yeah. So true. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm really curious about this in your family home evening group, you know, you said you have, LGBTQ members share, you know, what their life is like and their experiences and things like that. What have you learned about any, you know, misconceptions or stereotypes or, you know, anything you might want to discuss from those conversations um, about either members or ex-members of the church? Okay. Um, That was a, that was a big paragraph there. (laughs) So sorry that was, I was kind of like thinking and talking at the That's same okay. Time. <laughs> um, <laughs> stereotypes about my LGBTQ folks. I'm I'm claiming them now apparently, but um, <laughs> our LGBTQ folks is that um, I I think in the church, like the the principles of the um, like the policies around our LGBTQ folks change. Mm-hmm. And people don't always see that we are now looking at this a little bit differently. Um, and so the, the stereotype is that they will bring past policies into current circumstances. And that doesn't, that does not go over well, or they'll bring up a past comment from a church leader about our LGBTQ folks. Um, so the stereotype is that it's that, that this is evil. And that mm-hmm. is not something that the church is about right now. They're not saying that at all. And as the science and research um, grows, so does the church. Now it's mm-hmm. slow, I'm telling you, but um, it does change. And, and um, it used to be that you thought that we thought that it was a choice to be. Right. I do remember hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. That that past had been the big conception. Yeah. And so that still pops up as a stereotype. Um, So as I'm looking at the thing I was thinking about for stereotypes for our members and for our former members, um, I think the stereotype is the same. And we tend, members tend to judge uh, former members as uninformed or 
um, that they just, they don't have enough information. And I think, I think that you can correct me on this, Marissa, but I think uh, the stereotype for members is we're uninformed. Right. We don't have, <laughs> Isn't we, don't that have all of, we don't have the whole picture. <laughs> right. Isn't it so funny that we're both, you know, both sides think that about each other. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 And, and again, it, it goes back to that idea that this is not something you prove in court. <laughs> you, you cannot prove whatever your beliefs are. They, that's why they're called beliefs. <laughs> it's why it's faith. <laughs> they can't be proved. And so it's just kind of, you, but this is a place you can, you can choose what path you want to, to go down to. And, and I do believe it's different for others. For me, like this is the best path for me, but I'm not gonna, I don't think it's the best path, path for you, Marissa, or you would be on this path. That's, right. that's how I feel about it. Yes. Yes. I think those are really accurate stereotypes that exist or have existed. I can't remember who, maybe you can remind me, but I remember one general authority telling a story in conference one time about how he was on a plane and he happened to be sitting next to an atheist and they were speaking about beliefs. Um, and the atheist said, you know, I won't believe in God unless, you know, you prove it to me or something like that. And then the general authority responded by saying, well, can you tell me how salt tastes or what salt tastes like? And, you know, the man couldn't respond. And he said, well, I have spiritually tasted salt. You know, like I, I, I know that God is there, but I, I can't, you know, prove it to you or explain it to you much in the same way that I can't explain to you what salt tastes like, you know, and I think that's beautiful for both directions. Like yeah. what a great message, like, you know, neither side can, you know, prove definitively the, whether God exists or not, but, but your knowledge is yours and is precious and is valid um, and belongs to you. Yeah. That's yeah. a great example. Yeah, I, I wish I had the reference for it. I, I sorry, <laughs> I, not, I, I do not have a great memory, and I no, like, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. Um, I think we're like what what your space is providing is like you're asking the right questions. You're you're creating a space to have the correct discussion, whether the church is true or not between family members isn't the right discussion. Mm -hmm. The right discussion is tell me more about why you feel like that either way, you know, on either side, like what's it like? What, you know, what, and in fact, I'm going to have this discussion with my son because, you know, as I've been pondering this interview, um, I, and he just got his wisdom teeth out this week. Oh no, <laughs> Poor guy. I had a little time to spend with him and kind of in that way. But I asked him like, so when you left the church, did you do that? Like right after you came out as, you know, being gay. And I thought on my mind, it was like, yeah, he, he, he quit the church, came out and quit the church. And he goes, well, actually, it was like a six-year process. Wow. And, yeah. And I'm like, wow, here's the piece. You know, these things are not easy to talk to about with your kids. Mm -hmm. But now I've kind of opened the door. And I think we're going to go down the next layer. And I'm going to, I just want to know, well, what was that like? Because I, I never saw it for him as being like traumatic or um, the struggle that, that, folks have when they're like grappling with their, you know, maybe losing or walking from their faith. So I, I feel like, thank you, Marissa, for asking me to do this. I mean, I guess I volunteered actually, but no, I, I mean, I, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Yes. So now yeah. I have an open door and I'm going to talk to him about it and it's going to be cool because I really want to understand now, you know? I love that. Tell me more. That is yeah. the beautiful focus point for conversations um, between people who believe differently. Um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, so just, you know, just a couple more questions for you. 
Um, how has, has your perspective on the church evolved over time? Um, and could you speak a little bit to that if it has? Um, absolutely. How can you not grow? <laughs> you know, this is how we grow is, is, you know, looking at things in a new light every time an opportunity comes to do that. Um, but my, so what was the word you used? My um, evolved your perspective perspective. Um, absolutely. Um, and I, I've been doing some reading about, um, by an, uh, a priest named, um, Richard Rohr. Have you heard of him? I haven't. And he talks about the different phases of spirituality and how as adults, we actually go through these growth, um, of spirituality. And so I think that's important that you have to look at the church differently. Um, but I, I think I used to see the church as the one and only path. And now I see the church as a place where we all grow and become better. Mm. And I also think like, there's a lot of things like, paying my tithing and sending money to the church. I have never had a problem with that. And I still don't. I, I, I know that there's a lot of um, tension out there about how many billions of dollars the church has mm -hmm. in their bank accounts, but I've never, but as I've visited that and thought about it, it's like, I see all the good that, that is happening. Like this is one of the positive parts about a, the ch any church really when you have this many people you have so much more opportunity to serve in such greater ways like the worldwide things that they do is just amazing to me mm -hmm. um, but I also see the fallibility of the church and that these are men running the church and women because we do have a much more powerful force of women and acknowledgement of the women who are 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 careful taking care of and running the church. Um, but we're all human. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be perfect. Right. Yeah. And, and who, you know, so many people that I know, you know, and me for a while had a testimony of how tithing, you know, paying your tithing, you know, can either, you know, help you personally financially or increase the blessings in your life and your, your own spirituality. So, who has any right to say anything about what you do with your money? You know, um, you know, if, if paying tithing strengthens you, brings you joy, you know, you, and you see, you know, good coming from it, you know, like who can say that that's wrong or, or, or you know, misguided or bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is your prerogative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Um, okay. So I just have two left. Okay. So when you are having conversations with people inside and outside of the church, you know, how do you have any, um, advice or insights on how to create common ground or how to make those conversations go well? Well, curiosity for sure, mm -hmm. you know, step back <laughs> And just be curious, honestly, like what's your experience like, or, or maybe you don't even have to talk about the church. Um, we have, we have in our book group, mostly LDS women, but, um, one of, one of the women in our group is a former member of the church. And I've always known her as a former member, her family was, her husband was active. Um, and so, um, but I was very curious about why she was no longer a member. And so I just quietly asked her, can you tell me more about that? And she did. And she was happy to tell me, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I think it didn't change our relationship. It just helped me to understand where she was coming from. And I think the reason it, it works so nicely, especially with this person is that um, she's just full of joy and light and she knows where I'm coming from already, but she's just, you know, 
not uncomfortable about it, but it, sometimes it might be uncomfortable, you know? And so we have to figure out how to, how to live from that place of love and not I'm right, but just love for the person. Um, and I think that kind of outreach with compassion and curiosity is, is a place where you can both grow and keep a solid relationship and connection as opposed to defensiveness and trying to prove who's right. Mm-hmm. There's that's, that's not fun and it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. And, I, and we don't, there's no reason purpose to go there. Right. Yes. I have learned that from many Instagram arguments in the past that yeah. it does nothing, nothing <laughs> satisfying as it is to say something, something. It does nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, and then, and so where's, what's the stereotype that I think I have? Okay. Here's my, here's my deep, dark problem, Marissa. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm ready. Are you ready? Okay. So here's <laughs> my stereotype that I find is that I think other people should be kind or gracious or understanding or curious. So now I'm judging them if they're not. Mm-hmm. Is that ironic? You know, it's human. Right? <laughs> it is. That's where I'm like, okay, yes. where is that judgment in me that needs to be pulled out? You know, mm-hmm. Or like the folks in our church who see the LGBTQ community as being like difficult and maybe not good, then I'm Mm -hmm. judging them like all of those people, you know, I start using that language, like, well, those people, if they were just enlightened, (laughs) if they just understood, you know, it's like, are you kidding me? This is the deep work, honestly, for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I mean, because, you know, in, in the mind you're coming from, you have found so much joy and peace from thinking the way that you do, you know, that you see someone thinking differently or, you know, more closed-minded and you just think, you know, you would be so much happier, you know, if you thought the way I'm thinking, you know, and it's a very human thing to do, I guess. It's so human. Yes. So absolutely. That deep dark secret is so human. So, yeah. yeah, I'm working on it, Marissa. Oh, we all are. We all are. Yes. Cause I'm, I'm totally guilty of that too, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, okay. So I have one more question for you and you can use this as an opportunity to, you know, bear your testimony or, you know, share any final thoughts you want to share. But my question is what advice or insights do you offer to people or would you offer to someone who's questioning their faith or considering leaving the church? You know, what, what words can you give them? It could be your testimony. It could be advice. It could be understanding. What do you, what would you say to that? I love this question. This was really resonated, especially since I have a friend right now who's going through a faith crisis. Um, the first thing I would say is it's Okay. It's actually an important part of your spiritual development to hit up against things that go contrary um, to what you've been raised with or what you've previously believed. And so it's a struggle and there's a lot of pain. But on the other side, as you as you are showing us, Marissa, is joy. And as I am showing is also joy. So the path you take, there will be peace. Um, And it's going to be hard, but it's actually something wonderful can be born of this pain. So that's the first thing. Ah, you already, you almost have me in tears. That is beautiful. Okay. That's just the first thing. Okay. Keep going. (laughs) Beautiful. Um, The second thing is that, you know, Find a person to go through this with you. Like I'm here for my friend and she knows that in my heart, I'm going to have a hole if she leaves the church. But she also knows that I'm going to 
figure out how to mend that hole in my heart and that no matter what, we're going to be friends, we're going to travel, we're going to talk, we're going to, there's no, there's no um, fear of losing our friendship. Um, but finding a person, and it doesn't have to be a friend, but it could be like a life coach like um, Janice Spangler, or there's other ones out there that help people, somebody neutral. You know, mm -hmm. you don't want the person that's going to show you all the anti-Mormon literature, and you don't mm -hmm. want the person that's going to drag you to church every Sunday or try to talk you into join being in the church. This work has to come from within. And as you really have to just find out what's true for you, and that's a painful process, but it helps if you have someone you can share your authentic journey with. Did you have someone like that, Marissa, for you? So luckily for me, I have an amazing husband who has never been a member of the church and he has been a neutral anchor for me, you know, through my entire journey, as long as we've been together, you know, when I was active and now when I have left, he has just been a rock for me the whole time. But I've also been able to, in each part of my journey, have found friends that I identify with, um, um, that have been supportive to me and helpful mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. Good. Yeah. You can do it alone, but I think it's just harder. <laughs> oh my gosh. So much harder. Yes. Okay. So my third and final one, I actually have 10, but this one <laughs> I'm going to end with <laughs> is like, if you still believe in God and you still believe in revelation, don't forget to, to rely on, on heavenly father and our heavenly parents to be there for you, to comfort you through this um, and to help you find clarity. Um, and if you don't believe in God anymore, then you really have to go back to that second thing of finding a person to hear your story for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's oh, it. Just beautiful, Sabrina. Thank it's, you. I, I'm just so grateful, you know, that, you know, that we connected and that you reached out about coming on the podcast and that we were able to have this amazing conversation. You are so wise and so full of love. And um, I just feel honored to be able to hear your story and to talk with you about this. Well, thank you. And thank you, Marissa, for, for even doing this podcast. I think it's, we need more of this in the world. And so I'm so grateful you're doing it. Thank you. Well, I just want to thank all of our listeners that listened to our episode today. And thanks again to Sabrina for coming on and we will catch you all in the next one. Mm -hmm.